Norfolk Southern is delivering a low carbon economy, which benefits everyone. We're providing customers a way to significantly reduce their supply chain transportation emissions and improve air quality in our communities. As the first class one railroad to offer green bonds, I can tell you, we're not just in the business of moving freight. We are in the business of a better planet. There's over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're gonna have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hello, I'm Tyler Cole, Director of Carbon Intelligence here at Freight Waves, and welcome to another show of Net Zero Carbon, the show here where we focus on information, insights, and inspiration in sustainable transportation and freight. And today I'm joined by Keith Wilson, President of Titan Freight Systems, and Matt Luck, Technical Services Director for Road Transport at Neste Fuels. Welcome to the show, guys. Good morning. Good afternoon. Could we kick it off with a brief introduction about you know, who you guys are and what you guys do? Let's start with you, Keith. Sure, you bet. Keith Wilson. I am the president and CEO of Titan Freight Systems. We're based in Portland, Oregon, but we operate in Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. And we've been in business about 50 years now. And we're a mid-sized carrier in the Northwest serving the LTO market. Excellent. Thank you. What about you, Matt? Uh, Matt Luke, I'm the technical services manager uh, for Neste here in North America for the Renewable Road Transportation Group. So kind of the technical support for fleets like Keith, uh, our internal teams, and also the OEMs and larger technical side of the, the industry. Excellent. I apologize for saying luck earlier, although we need a lot more luck happening with the renewable diesel side of the story here in this country. So I hope it continues and we see those efforts progress. Um, which let's start with you, Keith, because I know you recently were nominated. Titan was nominated for Clean Fleet of the Year at this uh, last week's ACT Expo, right? Right. Could you tell us a little bit about the culture of sustainability and why that's important to Titan and some of the efforts um, that have led you to where you guys are today? Yeah, you bet. So it's really a, a long-lived effort. About a decade ago, a lot of carriers and companies were moving to a sustainable or vision items as far as what are their emissions. And it was really becoming a topic of discussion. So my team and I, we always, every decade, establish our vision items. And, and in 2009, you know, we had about six of them. And one of them was energy or emissions reduction. So we targeted a 20% reduction in our overall emissions uh, in a decade. So the 2020 period just came up and we were suffering to get to that 20% emission reduction. We were surprised because you would think over that period of time with all the carriers like FedEx and Schneider and all of them shooting, we felt technology would have that opportunity, but we missed it by a wide margin. You know, when we were in 2017, 2018, we were not tracking to hit our goals at all. So we really had to kind of step back and we had to pivot. We, we had to stop looking at normal or what we had control over as far as a carrier. And we had to really open up our view to a much wider lens to say, okay, what's the root cause? Is it truly just the miles per gallon we're trying to improve or is it emissions? And when we did that and stepped back from the problem and just stepped away and then start putting pen to paper, then we were led to the energy source is the root cause of emissions, not the miles per gallon or the engines themselves. And so that kind of high level allowed us to really back up and say, what's our goal? Evaluate, do all the research. And then we came to the conclusion of let's just swap out energy sources 
uh, which of course opened up a whole new door of, okay, what's out there and what do we have the access to and the capital for? Exactly. That's fantastic. And that few, few, too few carriers are taking those sort of hard looks internally and casting those vision plans. So I applaud Titan for the work you guys are doing and have done to this point. Where you landed from our conversation before is, is you guys run almost exclusively on renewable diesel where you can. Um, maybe let's, let's get mad in the conversation and explain a little bit for the viewers what is renewable diesel, where is it available, um, and go from there, and then we'll jump back to you, Keith, how it's working at the fleet. Sure. So renewable diesel, um, it's a hydrocarbon fuel, right? So it is, it is similar to a fossil diesel in that it's hydrocarbons, not something else. Um, the difference being we produce it from sustainable, uh, renewable raw materials. So our feedstocks will be things like you know, used cooking oil, tallow, fish fat, technical corn oil, things like that, waste products that are kind of at the end of their first useful life. Um, and then we use hydro treating and some other petroleum type refining processes to make a renewable diesel rather than a fossil. And just for, for visual here, I got a jar of it here for you. So the really cool thing is it's super consistent and clear because it doesn't have aromatics and these other dirty, you know, dirty components of fossil diesel. We get the same crystal clear odorless product every day, um, every, every week, every month out of our refineries that go to fleets like, like Keith's to help keep them clean. Thank you. That's wonderful. I can't believe looking at that. Can you hold up that jar again? Yeah. It's hard to believe I'm looking at the fuel there. That is diesel fuel. Um, take the lid off and do, do a scratch and sniff. You can't smell it, you know? <laughs> I'll let you mess with that. So, Keith, where are you using that in your operation and how do you plug it in to the fleet operation? So, because Matt brought that up, I, I've got mine as well. So, I always, because people are so... Uh, amazed, you know, and then when you look at the petroleum diesel, you know, you just, I think on the video, you can kind of, you can't see the yellow, but on, uh, on the renewable diesel, one of the key factors that we looked at is, and we always mention to everybody, and I think it really bears to be uh, brought forward is it's, it's not biodiesel. And that's the real confusion is, is that, and we, because I have so many people that are saying, well, how does this work? And we actually put on there, it's renewable diesel, not biodiesel. And so, because it's really important to explain that to audiences, well, what's the difference? Well, biodiesel is a great energy source, uh, but it, it really is suspect to how well the manufacturer producer makes it, right? If you take a shortcut, it can be really heavy in contaminants. Um, there are some really great biodiesels out there, but the problem is, is the market hasn't doesn't have a standard for uh, how clean it is. And so we looked at biodiesel because it was so low cost and it delivered a tremendous reduction in emissions, but we couldn't get a consistent quality to ensure that our engines were going to operate at peak performance. So we were driven towards renewable diesel, it was, you know, 70% less emissions, 30% less surface poisons. Uh, so we really had the benefit of we were going to hit our emissions target overnight, but it was only available in Oregon because we have a clean fuels program or a low carbon fuel standard. And that allows our state that creates this bucket of money uh, because there's a penny to five cents per gallon of gasoline or fossil diesel that goes into a bucket. And if I buy clean fuel, they give me a credit on that and it buys down the price of my renewable diesel to a point that's exactly the same price of fossil diesel or petroleum diesel. So it's no cost. I only get really access in the Portland metro area but fortunately, I fuel 54% of my fleet in that Portland metro region. And then my fleet heads out to my seven service centers as far away as Spokane or Seattle or 
or Medford, which are the three furthest points of my system. So I really can put a lot of it into my system. And that's allowed me to hit my emissions goals, you know, almost overnight because we went all in um, about a year and a half ago. Real quick, Tyler, I'm going to add one thing here um, based on what Keith said. Uh, he mentioned it's not biodiesel. And then part of your question I forgot to answer actually was where do we sell our fuel? Um, but they kind of tie together on a really cool point. Um, our fuel is not feedstock dependent, like the final properties of the fuel with performance characteristics. Um, in the biodiesel world, a, a soy bio may have different cloud points than, say, a, a tallow bio or something. Whereas the renewable diesel process, uh, no matter what we put in the front side, we still get the same product coming out of the backside of the refinery. And we do have precise control over that, especially things like cloud point that are critical to different markets. So our main market right now is the West Coast of the U.S. because of those carbon programs like California's LCFS and Oregon's CFP program and Washington just passed one. And, you know, the Northeast U.S. may be coming next. But because we have control over our, our production and things like CloudPoint, we can kind of select the fuel we send into the market there, right? So we're not, we, we wouldn't tell someone we can't sell fuel into Canada because it's too cold in the winter. We just do a little more processing on our fuel and we're ready to go there. So kind of a, a next level of technology we have available to us. That's a great solution. And the fact that it's a drop-in, you know, most fleets that I talk to probably, you know, many fleets, especially in the Southeast, have never heard of renewable diesel. They're not aware that it's even an offering because it pretty much is not limited, but it's available most often in these markets that have these clean fuel standards or programs. Um, so it's, it's nice to hear that there are fleets doing the work to look upstream at the energy source because of a downstream goal. Keith, how does that, how does that correlate into your um, customer relationship, right? How are you in a market where it's no cost to you able to leverage that sustainability work you do into, you know, providing additional benefits to your customer? Let's, let's, let's go on the real macro, Tyler, and then I'll dr drill it down to the, the micro. Mm -hmm. In Oregon, we see the change in our warming and the fires and the no snow on our mountains every day. And it is amazing how it's changed in just this last five years to a decade. You know, I used to be down in Medford, which is right at that southern Oregon border with California. Every, uh, every month I would travel down to my terminal there. And six years ago, the summers were beautiful. I'd take my clubs, I'd golf after working with my team and then come home late. But I hadn't been down there in five years in the summers because it's constantly covered in smoke. And then when you look at Mount Ashland, there's no snow on the mountain, uh, smoke in the winters and pardon me, smoke in the summers. So it's really compromised uh, our quality of life. Now let's talk about it from the economic standpoint. Um, a friend of mine, uh, owned an outdoor store in Ashland. Ashland is right at the California border. And he went out of business. And we'd make deliveries of, you know, fishing poles or whatever the, 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 the sporting goods he needed on whatever particular season. But he went out of business. You know, he was trying to convert to the Amazon type of, you know, I need a online portal to sell my goods. So he was going to capital intensive to do that. But he still needed his day-to-day -day operations to fund his store. And he went out of business. And when I spoke to him, he said, Keith, nobody was buying my fishing gear in the summer because of smoke-filled uh, skies, and nobody was buying my ski gear in the winter because no or low snow on uh, Mount Ashland. He went out of business. So when you think about it, okay, is climate going to affect our businesses, our, our commercial opportunities? Absolutely. So now we have to take uh, measures to address it. When we switch to re renewable diesel, zero cost to make it happen. 
emissions reduced by 70% overnight, but the overall benefit to my operations, Tyler, is my maintenance costs have dramatically fallen and my quality of life for my work, you know, workplace safety has improved because I don't have surface poisons in my workplace anymore. And so the benefits have really been widespread. Uh, it's been um, a home run. It doesn't get much better than that if you can check all those boxes at the end of the day. And that's, you know, the need for fleets to adapt and really customers to your to your friend's point going out of business, the externalities of climate change will impact operations across the board. And we've got to learn how to adapt. And it's encouraging and inspiring to see, you know, you and, and companies like yours leading the charge in that initiative and hopefully scaling the solution so that everybody gets to play and participate in a way that that benefits not just operations through lower maintenance costs and, you know, lack of surface poisons at your environment, but um, at a macro level, we're then now impacting, you know, our impact on the environment, right? What is next, Matt, for, uh, for Neste and expansion? Are you guys actively trying to encourage um, markets? I'm sure there's a lot of policy initiatives that have to be involved in different areas, but Neste is a global firm. What's, what's next here in the U.S. for fleets to be looking for? So right now, you know, we have uh, fuel in California, Oregon, soon to be up in Washington, connecting the coast. And we're building a network of card locks up and down the West Coast also. So right now we have just over a dozen locations across California where fleets can do card lock style fueling uh, for their drivers. You know, beyond that, we do have a, a public affairs team who's pushing and working hard with local, state, and national uh, regulatory bodies to say, see where those next carbon programs are going to go. You know, I think if, if we were to show a map of our current operations, the West Coast is highlighted one color as current, basically, and the other states are all the same color. And we see all of that as our future market, right? We don't call out one state over another. We just want it to go coast to coast and connect. Um, so I think you know, we're ramping up production at our Singapore refinery. After that, we'll be um, expanding our other locations around the world just to produce more and more fuel. So we're, we want to supply everyone. Um, we're, wherever the market is ready for us, that's where we're going to go. And that's a great point you mentioned about the global nature of this fuel, but also the climate change problem is it's not just fires on the West Coast of the U.S., right? We're seeing disasters increasing in volatility and frequency in other parts of the world, and we're seeing more countries push these sort of solutions to the fore. So I know, I think you guys have a refinery in Europe as well, um, and there's a big environment for this sort of HVO, right? Uh, not just renewable diesel, but over there, it's frequently called HVO. Um to start taking ground. So um, I just applaud those initiatives globally as well, because we all need every ounce of it in every truck that we can get today. Keith, what's next for, for your fleet? How do you see, is there opportunity to continue to expand this um, as, as more and more stations offer this, you get away from kind of just that depot fueling model. Do you guys have targets for, you know, tackling that other 46% of the fleet? Yeah. So, Let's, let's talk about the macro and we'll go the, the micro. So you talked about the rest of the country and I was in the uh, Birmingham, Alabama uh, four weeks ago and we were talking about renewable diesel and emissions reduction. And it seemed like the East Coast carriers are clamoring for this. They want to know what it is. How do I get an LCFS program? So I think what you're doing, Tyler, and in in this program is just getting information out there because it's pretty much an easy lift once your legislators are on board. What's next? Washington just signed their LCFS program. So now we've got uh, the um, Pacific Coast Collaborative. We're tied in. British Columbia has it as well. So the four states on the west side 
have these LCFS programs. What's next? It'll be about three, four years before that pricing really allows the credits to buy down renewable diesel to match petroleum diesel, and we're ready to go. So the nice thing is, is that we have met our emissions reductions, and pretty soon we won't have any fossil diesel in our entire fleet. Right now, we have no fossil diesel in our entire Oregon fleet, which is an incredible thing to say, not having fossil diesel after a hundred years of use of this product. What's next is, you know, we just purchased six battery electric vehicles. And so we're in line for the production to receive them in Q1 of 2023. But the problem is, is man, are they expensive, incredibly expensive and without incentives. And you have to have an entire infrastructure upgrade. It's going to take a generation even before they have a meaningful impact uh, as far as just headcount. How many can we get in the market? And we can't wait 20 years. So with renewable diesel, we always tell people it's the bridge to electric. We want both and we're going to use both. And when I get those six battery electric trucks in in you know a year and a half, we're, we're going to really try and find out how we can use them well in what areas. But they're not going to be long haul. They're going to be in my short haul fleet. So it has an application where it's really limited. That's where renewable diesel is going to allow me to always meet my emissions goals until I can get the battery, which is tailpipe zero. And that's... Um, that's really important. So we've got a solution today. We know what our solution is for tomorrow, but we had it, but they have to play together to just address carbon and, and emissions reductions now. Keith made a really good point there. Um, earlier, he touched on the fact that it's a drop-in solution, right? Because the renewable diesel meets the same specification that's required for a fossil diesel. You know, there's no regulatory changes. There's no paperwork and permitting to use the fuel. Um, it's you know, a matter of calling your fuel distributor and going to a fueling station that has it. Um, but then you're not having to do infrastructure investment or restock different parts and train personnel on different things. Um, it, you're also getting that emissions benefit overnight. So, you know, depending on feedstocks, we could reduce the global carbon intensity score or the global carbon footprint of a gallon by up to 75% here in the U.S. You could do that literally 24 hours from now, not waiting for something to be built or something to, to technology to advance or anything like that. You know, Tyler, if I could just kind of um, follow up on what Matt said, I think I should have mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, and, you know, we've been into this for a year, but the here's what Matt said about drop-in and why it's so important. We were looking at CNG, we're looking at RNG, we're looking at everything that was available out there. We happened upon renewable diesel because it was zero change in operations. Nobody even knows we made the change. We just relabeled our tank and said, this is a renewable tank. But what's important is, is first of all, our maintenance said, wait a second, this is a change. What are we going to have to do? What's it going to affect my job? And when I explained to them, based on extensive research, you won't even know it. It's so seamless. So now we fill up in Portland, Oregon. We'll top off that tank and we can't make it to Spokane and back. Uh, Spokane is a 360 mile uh, route for us. And then we've got to get there, turn around and come back. So the beauty is, is we'll fill up here in Portland, Oregon. The line haul driver will go to Spokane. We're not going to make it back. So he's going to have to do an intermediate fuel. He stops in at any card lock that he wants, where he's at. He then fills up with petroleum diesel or fossil diesel, comes back to Portland, fills up with renewable diesel at the end of the shift. It interplays seamlessly because it's the same exact chemical. The only difference is what's the oil stock. It's not using crude oil. It's just using animal or vegetable or fish oil. And like Matt said, it's the distillation process. So it's all the same output. There's no difference in quality 
or chemical, and there's zero difference as far as operations. Well, no, I, I, I changed that. There's a huge difference in how it reduces the maintenance in the equipment because there's no soot going into your crankcase. There's no soot coming out. There's no soot pressure on your DPFs, so we don't have any regens. We haven't changed a single DPF in over a year in the trucks that are using renewable diesel. I had some trucks that were going down four times a day where the equipment was taking over for the truck, right? He would, the, the equipment would derate, take over from the driver, take control from the driver, pull over, do your 45 minute region. I had some trucks doing that four times a day in my older engines. We haven't had one since. So, um, that'll resonate with your, uh, listening audience a lot. Absolutely. If you're ballparking maintenance savings cost per mile, we won't hold you to it, I swear. But just, is it a, a penny? Is it a nickel? What's the what's the benefit to the fleet on the back end maintenance cost reductions? At the absolute conservative blow in, it is a penny and a half just in exhaust system maintenance reduction. Um, it's a half a cent reduction in oil because we just don't have to change oil anymore. Oil, we converted from a consumable where we would drop it at every PM. We only drop it when we test and the test is out of the normal band. So you have normal, uh, caution, abnormal, and then, um, basically red. You got to change this. We've reduced our fluids by 78% because if there's no contaminants, when you burn the fuel, there's no contaminants going to the crankcase. There's no contaminants going through your exhaust system. And with that, uh, low pressure uh, load because of soot, we just don't have any contaminants throughout the system. So therefore we don't have to drop the oil. We just, we test it, we top it off and we have trucks going over a year without having changed. Cause remember oil never grows old. It only becomes contaminated. And so with that being the case, if it's not contaminated, we're not going to drop it. We're not going to spend the time. And so, uh, the cost savings, you know, half a cent just because we're not dropping oil, the maintenance time, mechanics time, exhaust systems, we're not changing DPF systems, the NOx sensors, the SCRs, none of it's failing on us now. Uh, cause the soot load is so little cause there's just no soot when you burn this stuff in the credit case. The fleets can save a couple cents a mile of maintenance. They pay the same or less as petroleum. They reduce their emissions by up to 70%. They can broadcast those savings to their customers and increase consumer goodwill. And they're doing a good job for the planet and their employees. I can't find the negative in this, in this story for people to start exploring. So I can't thank you both enough for coming on and, and sharing your experiences, explaining the technology, the geography where it's available, and how fleets and shippers can really get involved by working with their you know, local um, governments to petition for these type of solutions and, and needs and, um, and the operations of their, their business, not only to do good for themselves, but for all their other shareholders and stakeholders in, in their communities. Um, thank you both. This was really informative, educational, inspirational. Um, I hope our listeners get a lot out of this. I'm sure they will. Where can they follow up if they have questions or want to learn more, uh, maybe with you, Keith, first, and then with you, Matt? Oh, absolutely. So uh, we like to promote this. You know, we used to think it's kind of a competitive advantage. You know, carriers want to keep everything close to their vest because, but when it comes to emissions and what the climate actions we need to do, we're open source. We'll share information with anybody because the more carriers we get using or thinking about emissions, the quicker we're going to be able to address 
uh, you know, climate change, if you will. So please reach out to me. Uh, you can go into our website, titanfs.com. You'll find my email there. You'll also read some of the uh, information about our, our energy and our efficiency goals. But please don't, don't hesitate to reach out, email, call. Happy to share any information I can to help uh, carriers and uh, the public just have a better life, really, is what we're trying to do, Tyler. Amen. How about you, Matt? The easiest thing is to go to our website in the U.S. It's Neste My. It's N-E-S-T-E-M-Y. That's the, the brand of our product. So nestemy.com. Uh, on there, you can find a list of our channel partners, our distributors, to see who you could partner up with to get the fuel. There's a map for our card lock locations. There's also a contact page. Um, those The contact emails, when people submit stuff, come directly to certain individuals, depending on what the inquiry is. So that's a way to reach out directly with a more maybe pointed question than you would find on the page. Um, and then if you do go to the site, we have a calculator on there where you could kind of see how many gallons your fuel or your fleet is burning per year right now. Put that number in and we'll tell you if you were to make the switch to renewable diesel, what the reduction in carbon footprint your fleet would be contributing to. Um, kind of a cool little, little tidbit for people to think about when they come browse the page. Absolutely. We're all about helping people measure their emissions here at the Freightways and Carbon Intelligence. So thank you both. I've really appreciated it. We'll definitely have to have you back on sometime early next year to see how things are going and what's new. And friends of the show are always welcome back. So thank you very much. Right Thank you, Tyler. Thanks, Freightways. Great, great program. Norfolk Southern isn't just in the business of moving freight. They're in the business of a better planet. To learn more about Norfolk Southern's industry-leading sustainability initiatives, go to nscorp.com slash betterplanet.